The opinions voiced in Wall Street to Main Street are offered for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, or financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Advisory services offered through Wealth Plan Partners. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Wealth Plan Partners, Held in Wealth Management, and Securities America are separate entities. to Main Street with Tom Hamilton. Good afternoon. Welcome to Wall Street to Main Street. Tom Hamilton here, president of Hamilton Wealth Management in Pittsburgh, New York. Um, of course, host of Wall Street to Main Street every Friday here on WYSL. Got Bob D'Angelo back in Mission Control at WYSL headquarters, producing the show, pushing the buttons, doing the bump music, making sure uh, we, we put a high-quality show on the air every Friday. So thanks to Bobby D. And again, I'm doing the show remote from my office in uh, in in Pittsburgh, New York. All right. So yeah, so a lot of stuff going on, right? Uh, all, all sorts of craziness on Wall Street. Big jobs report today. Uh, Fed Fed meeting. Uh, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, Chairman Powell came out with his uh, basically telling the market to stop planning for rate hikes starting in March. Uh, Some of the markets had built into their thinking, you know, the collective groupthink, which is always a bad thing to follow. But groupthink was thinking five or six rate drops over the next year or so starting in March, Uh, which, again, made no sense to me. We're going to talk about that a a little bit later. So we we got – I'm going to do like an economic update. Here we are one month into 2024. Yeah, I don't do projections for the year. That's all just stupid stuff that people do for clicks and attention. Uh, we deal with the here and now and the reality of what's happening. And we want to talk about the, you know, the Fed funds rate, the jobs report, uh, the overall economy, what's going on with this, uh, you know, what they call now the magnificent seven, the seven mega company tech stocks that are kind of running the whole market right now. And in my opinion, while they're, I'm not saying whether they're good good or bad investment for anybody going forward, I, I do think as the price, as they get priced for perfection, let's put it this way. In my experience, perfection never happens. So anything that winds up priced for perfection leaves uh a higher possibility of disappointment, but let, let's put it that way. Then we're going to talk about the national debt. Uh, we went over $34 trillion, by the way, in case you missed it. Uh, I-bonds, we're going to talk about I-bonds. A lot of people bought, bought I-bonds back when rates were, uh, I think rates were like 9.6%. I think that's when we bought them, my wife and I. Uh, we're going to talk about what to do now with the I-bonds. And then we're going to talk about retirement. What happens, what, what's the nuts and bolts of life in retirement when your paycheck stops, right? A lot of people do projections and you got to save this amount and, you know, we're going to draw X amount. We're going to live on, you know, 80,000 or 100,000 bucks in retirement. But the nuts and bolts of it is eventually you got to take that money from somewhere. Like it isn't just theoretical when you stop working and you don't have a paycheck, it becomes anything but theoretical. And we're going to talk about how we work with clients and how you might think about that, uh, if you're in retirement as you go into retirement. So let's start with the jobs report that came out today. 
to be honest, it was a blowout number. It was 353,000 new jobs, uh, beat the estimate by 185,000. Now, this gets revised in the future. And heretofore, they've always revised these things down. Like every time I'm talking about the revised number, it, it proves that the previous number reported was a fallacy. But the truth is, last the, the December number just got revised up, which, which is very unusual. So a lot of jobs created. That, that's the reality. Now, I know a lot of listeners are, are rooting against Biden, and they don't want Biden to be president four more years and probably put me in that camp too. But we have to look at the reality. Now, the negative to the jobs report, the negative, well, first of all, unemployment stayed at 3.7. So that's a good unemployment number. Now, is that real unemployment? Well, not really, right? But not not really. And wages increased quite a bit. There was a 0.6%, so 4.5% year-over-year wage increase, which is higher than what they say inflation is now. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Here's the negative part of the report and the concerning part to me. The labor force participation rate, what percentage of able-bodied adults are working is down to 62.5%. It dropped a tenth of a percent from an already ridiculously low 62.6%. So we're well under two-thirds of adult population working. And I often talk about, like, the you know, the boat with the oars in, in the water. A lot, a lot of oars aren't in the water, right? There's less and less of us doing the rowing to keep this big ship moving. You know, you know, picture those big, uh, th- those big uh, rowboats from that you see in movies from the, you know, from two thousand years ago, three thousand years ago, where they have all these slaves down in the bowels of the boat, rowing the boat, rowing the oars. Well, a lot of people aren't rowing; <laughs> they're they're going along for the ride, but it, but only sixty two point five percent are actually contributing and working. And then the other thing, the average. Uh, week work week went down from 34.3 to 34.1 hours. That's been declining, declining, declining. Now, we're not France, okay? We're, we're not Europe. 30, 34 hours is not a work week. And I know for a lot of people it is. Like, I, I know there's a lot of nurses, for example, that do three 12-hour shifts, so that's 36 hours. And, you know, that's a hard job. Uh, okay, that's a hard job, and I think they're entitled to the time off after that. But in most office jobs or service jobs or, or whatever, 34 hours just ain't cutting it. That ain't cutting it. So why is the work? I really don't know why we're adding jobs but subtracting hours from the work week, per, you know, the average person's work week. I don't really get that. Like. I mean, we're not doing it, my firm, but that's what's happening. So that's that was kind of a, a positive jobs report. I think then coming on the on the back of Powell in the Federal Reserve not raising rates, everybody knew that wasn't going to happen with this meeting. The the uh, a lot of the, the the forecasters were saying come March they're going to start dropping rates. I a lot of people it's wishful thinking, right? A lot of businesses run better. On lower rates, certainly the real estate market might get going again, lubed up a little if we had lower rates. I think it was wishful thinking. There is no logical reason for the Fed at this point to lower rates in any big hurry. 
at least none that I can see. The, the unemployment's low. The GDP that came in last quarter was was decent. Uh, again, those are their two their, their two main jobs are to keep inflation. Re, inflation seems not completely controlled. So why would they drop rates and pour gasoline on the fire? And a, a five or five and a quarter percent Fed funds rate is not high. Okay, it's only high compared to the, the recent past when they kept it at zero far, far too long. So I think I, I think like as investors, our job now, or you know, if you're if you're managing your own money or, or, or me as a professional money manager help helping clients manage their money, we have to invest in today's world where rates are where they are. And again, to me they're neither high nor low now. They're reasonable, right? But all sorts of people have been saying, oh, you can't put money in these short-term money markets and short-term treasuries and stuff like that that we've been talking about a lot on the show because they say, you know, rates are going to come down and you're not going to be able to get that 5% in a money market. Well, my answer to that has been we don't know that to be true, and so far it hasn't happened. Uh, Money markets are still above 5%, at least good ones. And the reality is if rates do go down, all right, that money's liquid. You can find something else to do with it at that time. I don't think people need to go searching too far for what to do with their safe money. And now other advisors would say, oh, no, you always have to have more in long-term bonds and this and that. Uh, okay. You know, the 10-year treasury is roughly 4%, and the two-month treasury is roughly five and a quarter or whatever. Uh, it's a bizarro world. To me, I believe there is no, there's nothing on the horizon saying rates are flying down quick. So, it, it, and then that comes to the real estate market, right? I think the real estate market is hoping and praying that rates come down. I think commercial real estate, there's a, there's a lot of commercial real estate that needs to be refinanced. You know, the, they had low rates that are running out. Usually commercial real estate is three, five, seven, ten year type terms. It's not 30-year mortgages like when we buy a house. So they've been hoping and praying that before these things need refinancing, right, those those mortgages run out, that rates will be a lot lower so it doesn't put a big crimp on the commercial real estate market. Because if you're if you're if you own an office building and you're barely making it with with rents, you know, occupancy issues and then your current mortgage is at 4%, and you know you're going to have to refinance that at 7 or 8%, uh, you got bad news coming as soon as those mortgages come due. And maybe the lenders do also, whether that's a bank or other lending groups, funds, whatever. So I think that the, the rates being reasonably reasonable, which they are now for longer, is definitely the base case scenario in my book. Again, we don't spend too much time projecting and, and, and trying to think this stuff through for the future other than looking at it and saying, hey, there's no emphasis, there's no rush to reduce rates. Uh, the Fed believes they've hit the soft landing, which they wanted. They believe there's more risk to new inflation. I just saw like uh, 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 car auto insurance is the next big inflation thing, right? Every time... People have to redo their auto insurance. The rates go higher, 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 or, or deductible higher, whatever. So 
The Fed isn't convinced inflation's over. I'm not convinced inflation's over. If you go grocery shopping, you're not convinced inflation's over. So I think we have to invest in a, here's the rates, what they are today. There probably won't be significant. If you're counting on rate, heavy rate reductions to make your investments work, good luck. Okay, good luck. Invest in the reality. And I think there's still great opportunities for reasonable investment returns in this interest rate environment, whether that's with, like, like we use uh, more loan-type funds for our fixed income. A lot of them are crap, but the ones that I think we own ones that are uh, really well-positioned in this market. We, again, we don't make recommendations on the show. That's only for clients of Hamilton Wealth Management. But the point is, and we're also using uh, money market funds with clients, treasury money market funds, short-term treasuries, treasury, short-term treasury ETFs. I, I believe there's plenty of opportunity to get reasonable rates of return in this market. And then for more growth-oriented investing, uh, you, you know, you can come at that from two angles. You can come at that from two angles. I. I caution people about chasing this run-up in this magnificent seven. Uh, it just it smacks to me of the late 1990s, where you felt foolish not being in on the tech rally until the thing exploded, right? There's always a price where stocks are too expensive. Even the greatest of companies, in my opinion, you still have to have a cutoff point where you say, I just can't pay this much money for the, per share for the stock for the amount of earnings it currently has or will have in the future. Eventually, it gets ridiculous. My opinion is some of them are already ridiculous. Uh, even great companies, the, the stock price can get way, way, way too high, way, way, way too high. And way too many, uh, I think, investors believe recent bias too much. They have a, a, a bias toward, toward the, the recency. Right, they expect because whatever company is uh, dominating today over the last couple of years, that they're going to dominate for the next ten or fifteen years and grow into their price. Uh, very few do. Very few do. Look at all the great companies of the past; they've all had long periods where their dominance went away, and most of them never got back to dominance. Right, Kodak, Xerox, we know of locally, uh, Bausch and Lam, uh, Global Crossing. You know, Enron, you can name hundreds of them for that from that era. Uh, but but even from the heyday of, of whatever, the companies come and go. Companies day in the in the limelight comes and goes. New technology gets invented. It isn't always going to be invented by these behemoth companies. So I just caution people on recency bias with regards to that. But again, Bobby D, let's take a break here. But the moral of the story is the economy is in okay shape, right? We wish a lot of things were different. We're going to talk when we come back about the national debt. We certainly wish that was different. But things seem to be settled at the interest rate we're at. Somewhere around five, five and a quarter for the Fed's fund rate seems to be where they're happy with. And we just have to look at things as is and invest accordingly. And I find that fairly uh, reasonable to do right now with reasonable return expectations. You're listening to Wall Street to Main Street with Tom Hamilton. We'll be right back.
This is Wall Street to Main Street with your host, Tom Hamilton. Hey, welcome back to Wall Street to Main Street. Hope your weekend's off to a great start. I'm looking out my office window here. I, I swear to God, every every Friday I look exactly the same looking out the window. A, a, a gray a gray sky. I mean, it's stand to stand daytime longer. I guess that's something. But holy cow, we could use some sunshine. All right. So the federal debt surpassed 34 trillion uh, last month or the month before. Uh, 34 trillion freaking dollars. Uh, so here's the crazy thing about it. The Congressional Budget Office, that whenever you hear that the Congressional Budget Office has scored a bill and it's going to, you know, do this to the debt or that to the debt, remember this. In January of 2020, four years ago, four years, they projected that, that we'd hit $34 trillion in the debt in 2029. Okay? So they were like... 100% wrong on how long it would take. They said four or they said nine years. It took four. It took four, right? So that's that's unbelievable by the way. So when you see the projections for like social security running out of money and all these other things, this is these same clowns. I mean, I don't know how they thought it would last five more years till we hit 34 trillion at the pace we were already on in January of 2020. So we're at 34 trillion, and the question is, what does that mean? Is it is it sustainable? Well, of course, we, we know eventually it's not sustainable, right? I, I, anybody who can do math and the, the service, just the interest on this type of debt is is so burdensome to the country's annual budget that it's just eventually becomes impossible, right? It's a it's a rock you're pushing up a hill. And eventually the hill just gets too steep and the, and the rock rolls you over. But does that mean you can't invest? No, right? No, you just have to invest knowing that's the case. So if that spending is getting through to the investment types that you own, although it's bad for the country, it could be beneficial for, for particular investments. And it has been, right? It has been. Look, look at the price of all risk assets, stocks, real estate, right? This money pours into somewhere. It pours into somewhere. And lest you think that your party or the other party is going to solve it, we all know this has been going on uh, under all regimes for quite some time. And just this week, I think, the House of Representatives passed another spending bill Right, a ta- an add-on spending bill to spend more money. So the Republicans got their little pet projects. The Democrats got their pet projects. No way, I, I mean, they might have put fake stuff in the, there as to how they're going to pay for it, but of course that, never, that part never comes true. So either, neither party has any intention or desire to solve this. So I, I think we have to live our life as Americans and as investors with our eyes wide open. Stop thinking that if this person gets elected or, you know, Trump or uh, Nikki Haley or, uh, you know, the man in the moon or the magic man or whatever you think is your person or your party, that all of a sudden this is going to be solved. 
Nobody wants to take the punch bowl away, okay? Nobody wants to be the bad guy. Trust me when I tell you, if somebody came into office, the Republican Party, let's say, and they got tough on fiscal spending, we would have a tough four, eight, ten years that, again, we have a coming. It's a pay us now or pay us later thing. We all know that. But nobody wants to be the bad guy because that would be the end of that party's electability forever. So you get what you get, right? You get what you get. Now, will, will, could one party be better than the other or one individual better than another for spending? Yeah, I think that's possible. That's possible. I, th- I think Trump showed no initiative to... You, let, now, again, I, I know that we have a Trump-favorable audience, and but, but I don't give my opinions based on what's going to make people smile or, or feel good or whatever. I just tell it like it is. And Trump as much or more than any politician, wants everybody to think he's great and like him, okay? <coughs> Excuse me. The easiest way in four years to make people like you as a president is to spend a ton of money. It makes the economy hum. makes people feel better about what's in their pocketbook. It, it, they're, now, the consequences are paid for down the line by future administrations or future generations of Americans, so I'm not condoning it. And again, uh, Biden has run up more debt than Trump did, I believe. I, I'm not sure if that's true. But if you take out direct COVID spending that you at least had some excuse for, then in general, yes, B- Biden's probably been worse on spending than Trump. But make no mistake, if those are our two choices, we're really, and it, again, it doesn't matter. No matter who you put in there. The pain and suffering of dealing with this is not something anybody wants under their regime. So they're just not going to do it. So when we're looking at what to do with our money and where we think interest rates will go and inflation will go, uh, reality, folks, not not hopes. and w- Nobody wishes that this weren't the case more than me. Right. I wish we hadn't run it up and I wish we'd be responsible and pay it down. Uh, that's the American in me. That's the, the wishes, wish I could rule the world in me. The, re, the investor in me says, but that's not going to happen, period. And so we have to deal with the reality. And that is the reality. Sorry to tell you, but you're listening to Wall Street to Main Street. We'll be right back. You're listening to Wall Street to Main Street with Tom Hamilton. Hey, welcome back to Wall Street to Main Street. That's yeah, Friday. Right. That's something good. Uh, Another long week for me, recovering from the knee surgery. But I'm back. I'm going to be back in the office somewhat regularly starting next week. Maybe not too happy about it. But, uh, you know, Lisa and Ryan have done a great job keeping the place running since I've been uh, rehabbing at home. But I've also been working. Don't worry. Don't worry, clients. Still paying total attention to your money. Uh, Just less direct uh, discussions with people. We're starting appointments up, at, you know, client reviews starting next week. So we'll be back in the thick of things. All right. Hey, I, w- I wanted to mention uh, I bonds. Uh, a couple of years ago, I forget. I forget uh, when was it? Twenty. Yeah, sometime in mid twenty twenty two, we started talking a little bit on the show about I bonds, and I uh, didn't recommend. I only recommend things to clients. Yes or no. <clears throat> so I didn't recommend them on the show, but I talked about at the time 
the, the short, the six-month rate on I-bonds was going up to 9.62%, which was insane because they're, they're treasury bonds. So they're, you know, backed by the uh, full faith of the federal government. But I-bonds are a unique type of investment. And they take some paying attention to and maneuvering them with them depending on what you're using them for. And at least for my wife Nancy and I, we were using them for a higher interest short-term midterm type savings opportunity. For some people, it might be time to look at getting out of those I-bonds or at least consider whether you should keep your I-bonds. The, the variable rate is down significantly on them because inflation's down. You know, the I for I-bonds is it means inflation. And uh, we've been talking to clients that have bought them, you know, evaluating their situation as to whether they should keep them or, or uh, turn them in and do something different with the money. Certainly my wife and I have made the decision as, as to what to do with ours. Again, I don't want to tell you what that is on the, on the show because you don't know when we bought them. You don't know what our financial situation is, but uh, they should be decided on if you bought them, especially if you bought them not as a long-term investment, but just to take advantage of these uh, temporarily very high rates. So word to the wise, learn about, learn, you know, if you bought I-bonds, consider what you should do now uh, when the rates are lower. They're, they're not like embarrassingly low now, but uh, again, I-bonds have two components, a fixed rate and a variable rate. The, the fixed rate stays with it. And at least back when I was talking about them and I bought them, the fixed rate was zero. Uh, which is not unusual when rates are so low. So we were buying it for the variable rate. Uh, that's equations change quite a bit. All right. The other thing I want to talk to talk about today is with regard. To, so I, I've been a financial advisor for 27 years, and I went. You know, as a younger advisor, new new in the business, I used the the, the planning programs. We still use financial planning programs, but I was taught how to use them to project client's retirement income, show them, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Client, if you've saved this much and you retire at 62 and you draw X amount a year, uh, you know, the planning tool says you'll be okay. After years in the business, it dawned on me, and now it's even more, uh, less theoretical and more real to me, is people, my peers, you know, people, my brother, older brothers, people, Roughly my age, a few of them are retiring here or there. Our clients just a little bit older than us are retiring. And you start thinking about it. Theoretical planning with a financial planning program is a very good idea in the savings as you're accumulating when you're younger. When you get close to or into retirement, it probably dawns on most people that it's no longer theory anymore. I need to take money from somewhere when the paycheck stops. Right. When me or me and my wife stop working, where is my money coming from? Not not how much do I have to have saved? Like literally that next month, you know, I retired January or February of 2024 in March. I still got bills coming in. Right. I, I, I still have my expenses. I still have travel, whatever it is I'm doing. Where's my money coming from? And I think that's a big part of what I call the nuts and bolts of retirement planning that a lot of advisors and individuals, quite frankly, don't really understand or pay attention to. Because you have to, 
so just the last month, right, we've worked with clients that are retiring right now and setting up automatic deposits from either their IRA accounts, their 401k, uh, their savings accounts, their their joint investment accounts directly to their bank account. Like, like we do it like a paycheck often. Now, for some clients, that's the right thing. They want that monthly income that they're not getting. Then you have to factor in, should you take Social Security? Now, should you wait till later for Social Security? Should one spouse take it and the other not? But these are all buckets that you can draw money from. As an example, I just, just I think yesterday, sent an email to a client. We were, uh, draw, they're retired. We were drawing out of a beneficiary IRA first because the rules for stretching that out and that are, are not as advantageous as from their own IRA. Now that money has been used up. Meanwhile, we haven't taken out of the other accounts. And we're discussing what account do we start drawing from next? Uh, often drawing, I, I prefer to draw just interest where we can, dividends and interest, but sometimes there's some principle involved. But my point is each scenario is different. So like I was saying, the last month we've had uh, one client that, that has been ongoing working with them that they're building a home in North Carolina. We had another client that moved into their built home in North Carolina and we were figuring out where to draw money to pay their mortgage off. They took a little bit of a mortgage because their house was their their new home was more expensive there than the one they left in New York. Uh, great news is they've already paid that off, so it could, couldn't have gone better. But we have to, if the income is needed, we have to decide where it's come from. Another client is considering purchasing uh, a, a second home in Florida. So where's the money going to come from? So it's not theory at that point. It's reality. Uh, and then we have we always have new clients or existing clients that are just, you know, they're not building a new home. They're not moving. They're just not working anymore. So their paycheck is gone. And how do we replace that? And again, there's dividends. But one of the things that I think is critical in this regard is tax brackets, because you know, we have these these tax brackets, the, the way the U.S. tax system works. Since the, the Trump tax laws of 2017, I believe, in running for at least the next two years through 2025, you can, ta- you can take out substantial amounts of income, substantial, up to 120-some thousand for a married couple, and be in the 12% federal tax bracket for income, that's like from IRAs or that type of thing, and in many cases, 0% capital gain rate up to close to that amount, or or what they call qualified dividends in a taxable account. So it's a little bit of complicated stuff that we're talking about, but the bottom line is, depending on which sources you're drawing from, is going to have huge impacts on what tax rate you're paying at. And again, to me, in most cases, if people can keep their capital gain tax rate at zero-ish, that's a hell of a deal on capital gains and qualified dividends. I mean, it's an insane deal. And if you can keep your other income at least no higher than that 12% tax bracket, for a lot of retirees, this is very doable for, for, a, for a nice, comfortable retirement. Uh, then all your... IRA and 401k and pre-tax savings 
where, where you saved when you were at a higher tax rate, that really has paid off for you, right? You, you, you saved it and you didn't pay at those higher tax rates. Then you let it grow tax deferred. Now you're taking it out at that uh, 10 or 12% tax bracket. So that's a hell of a deal. So the important thing is when we talk about where's that paycheck going to come from, no two, I mean, again, I've been doing this a long time. So different client situations have similarities, but they're all different, right? Some clients we have almost all their long-term savings is in was in 401ks or IRAs pre-tax. So everything they take out of those uh, investment accounts is taxable now. Okay, well, can we take it out at that lower tax bracket to, to meet the requirements? Uh, in many cases, we can. But other clients have half their money in IRAs, 401ks, but another half in joint accounts, taxable investment accounts. Totally different situation. There we're dealing with capital gains, which, as I said, at least with the current tax rate, can be very, very, very favorable. Uh, we're, we're talking about possibly qualified dividends that are stock dividends taxed like capital gains. Uh, and then a, another type of client might have a little bit in IRAs and 401ks, a little bit more in joint or individual accounts, and then a big chunk of money in Roth IRAs, either from contributions over the years or Roth conversions. So those those are taxed completely differently, right? The money coming out of the Roth is tax-free. So juggling all these income sources, not to mention Social Security for each spouse separately and pensions potentially for, for, for fewer and fewer clients, but uh, still lots of people have some sort of pension. Juggling these and, and creating a, here's where my income is coming from each month. Here's where I might dip into money if I need extra for special situations, a wedding that, that somebody's paying for, a trip they've always dreamt of taking, uh, you know, a midlife crisis vehicle <laughs> that they've always wanted to buy, whatever it is, and making those fit together in a coherent plan. I just haven't ever seen software like planning programs that do a good job of any of that. The truth is, it's good old calculator, Excel spreadsheet, uh, pen and paper, thinking, knowing and, and, and considering the tax rates, reviewing the previous year's tax situation. These are the these are the ways that people make smart and informed decisions when it comes to replacing paychecks. And, and again, I'm not saying Hamilton Wealth Management is worthy, and Tom Hamilton were the only firm that can do this. Certainly, other people, investment advisors, do this all the time. But I do think a lot of advisors come at it from a theoretical standpoint, right? A, a theoretical, the, 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 the planning program, the chart, the graph says you'll be just fine. And they don't really think about it from the client's end and that the client's sitting there saying, okay, this is all well and good, but I'm retiring next month. And I still don't know when that $3,000 a month I need from my IRA account is going to hit my bank account and how, <laughs> right? The nuts and bolts of retirement planning. And I, I think that's a critical part of it for all retirees, uh, you know, not just ones that work with us, but for all retirees. And again, people can do that uh, th themselves also. 
if they're inclined to do it. It, it, it's just that there are a lot of things that go into uh, maximizing the after-tax uh, distributions that you take from your various accounts. And, and then you throw in the fact that the Trump tax laws are supposedly sunset after 2025. That means we revert back to some version of the previous tax code. So you, there's a lot of moving parts, I guess is what I'm saying. And... Uh, we just spend a lot of time on this with clients all the time, whether it's existing clients who have a little change in their situation. I mean, we had, we had two clients pass away. The spouse passed away this year. All of a sudden, the tax brackets are single brackets, not joint brackets. Totally different tax situation for the surviving spouse. And, uh, you know, in those cases, it's not the easiest time to be making big financial decisions. So, you know, having somebody who knows how this stuff works and knows the pitfalls and the issues can be beneficial to you. But, but what would the, the reason I want to talk about on the show is I just wanted to make sure it's in the forefront of people that are uh, heading towards retirement or in retirement and looking to maximize what they can Investments aside, the the specific investments you have are also critically important. But the buckets and the types of accounts you hold these investments in are also critically important and uh, varies very significantly from client of ours to client of ours. And I do think experience helps uh, quite a bit in, in, first of all, understanding the concerns somebody might have. Like, wait, wait a minute, I'm going to be taking money out of this account? I've never taken money. I only say I have only ever saved money, right? How do I get into the mentality that it's okay to spend money? Well, knowing what the heck you're doing helps bridge that gap a lot. Uh, making sure what you're doing is fiscally and investment-wise responsible helps a lot. So anyhow, Bobby D, let's take a break. Let's take a little break. When we come back, we're, we're going to talk about uh, mortgages in the housing market a little bit. Uh, again, I think a lot of people... We're expecting big things to happen this year uh, with regards to rates coming lower. Not sure I see that on the horizon. Not sure I've seen it. The, the Fed hasn't really signaled that that's the case. So let's talk about real estate, mortgages, borrowing in general when we come back here on Wall Street Dimension. This is Wall Street to Main Street with your host, Tom Hamilton. Hey, welcome back to Wall Street to Main Street. Yeah, we're talking about the housing market, the, the real estate market, and we're talking about mortgages. So uh, I saw an article a couple weeks ago. Uh, the mortgage demand plummets again despite dropping interest rates. And although rates haven't really come down a lot, they're they're down at least at this point. Early January, it says the thirty-year average thirty-year loan was six point seven six, so six and three quarters roughly, down from close to eight. But of course, up from two two and three quarters a couple of years ago. And uh, again, many people I think were in the real estate business have been predicting, but I translate that to hoping and wishing that we'd see a much lower rate environment sooner rather than later. Why? Because the bottom line is, well, let's talk about the the, uh, residential real estate, houses, individual homes. 
that market is stalled. Why is it stalled? Well, if if you own a home with no mortgage, right, are you looking to move and take on a mortgage? No. More importantly, or more uh, difficult in the market is anybody who has a mortgage. They either bought in the last five or ten years, in which case they either bought at this this two or three two and a half or three percent mortgage rate, or they refinanced at three percent. Let's say anybody who has a mortgage at three, three and a quarter, three and a half or below, or four even, it would take an awful lot of need for them to move, right? People are staying with the house they're in because, A, the cost of houses are even higher than before, but, B, your mortgage doesn't move with you. So if you sell and move to a, you know, move up like people used to do to the next, the next level, the next size house, your family grew, whatever, it isn't the small move that it used to be where you move and the current mortgage is a little bit more because the house is more. No. You're paying a ton more for the house, but your mortgage rate of, let's say it was 3%, that doesn't move with you, and and you're resetting at 7% or whatever the exact current rate is. And I think rates have to get down closer to 4 4.5% before people in that situation start showing some desire to move. Now, there'll always be people moving for job reasons, uh, family reasons, divorce reasons, but that isn't enough to make a market, right? That That's why you see every house that gets put in the market. Uh, two weeks later, you see a uh, pending offer accepted, and then you see a close a month later, whatever, at 50, 60 grand over asking price. There's not enough, inv- it's still an extreme seller's market, not because it's a great time to buy a house, it's, it's a horrible time. I, I, again, I, a horrible time, but it's a very unaffordable time to buy a house because house prices are record high in our area by far, like compared to 10 years ago. We've never had a move like this that I know of. But also, it's now at higher interest rates. So your payments are significantly higher. So the affordability has gone in the toilet. So I, I say there was a lot of hoping and wishing that this weren't the case. That, it would, that, it would, that this would ease up early this year, especially for the spring, early summer home buying season. Again, I think the Fed put that to bed. They are not looking to drop rates. Uh, nobody's looking to loan money for 30 years for mortgages at 4% anytime soon. So I just think we're going to be in this sluggish market for quite a while. And again, it's another one of those, it is what it is. Act accordingly. Right. Hoping and wishing for something different doesn't do it. If you want to have a review of your situation, you're looking to retire, whatever you are retired. uh, Second opinion, HamiltonWealthManagement.com. Get a hold of us. Uh, I'm Tom Hamilton. Remember, Hamilton, we manage wealth, HamiltonWealthManagement.com. Have yourself a great weekend. We'll talk to you next Friday. The opinions voiced in Wall Street to Main Street are offered for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, or financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Advisory services offered through Wealth Plan Partners. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Wealth Plan Partners, Hamilton Wealth Management, and Securities America are separate entities. Do you want-